Well, as we think about the last couple of weeks, this is the final message uh, on the section in Acts 13, Paul's sermon at Pisidian Antioch. And just looking back over this sermon, we had three studies, and I typed out the notes for you and the outline, if that's helpful. I like to review and see, hopefully, what we can glean from the Scripture. But the question, I've been trying to have a question each week to prod our memories. And the question is, in this sermon, uh, Paul quoted many Old Testament passages. Can you remember any of them? And it is an open book uh, exam here. He quoted from different books of the Old Testament. Do you remember any of those? Or do you see them in your Bible, maybe with your cross-references, or they're indented in a way, or given bold letters? Isaiah, what? Isaiah 55, verse 3, yep. Isaiah 55, 3, which is quoted in verse 34. Any others? Psalm 2. And there was another psalm, my favorite, one of my favorites. Psalm 16. Psalm 16, and we also have Habakkuk, chapter 1. So, it's always illustrative to examine how Christ and the apostles preached and taught, and a lot of it is quoting the Old Testament. And that's why today we would quote many New Testament passages, even as we study the New Testament. Well, let's pick it up uh, reading. Our text today will be verses 44 to the end. That's Acts 13, picking it up. Maybe pick it up at verse 42 to remember a bit of the context. Acts 13, verse 42. As Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It is necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you repudiate it, and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. 
This passage is loaded with reactions, and I've given the title Reactions to the Truth. I found at least eight different reactions, and I think that Tom is going to have something similar from Matthew 2. We didn't talk about this, but sometimes it happens that way. Reactions to the truth. And the truth is, as stated, Paul had reviewed the history of Israel all the way back to the Exodus, bringing uh, his message up to the time of Christ that this Savior would be born for the Jews, that he was a son of David, he was the Son of God, he died, was buried, and was resurrected, and this promise was fulfilled to the Jew first, which we'll hear more about in a moment. And he exhorted them to believe and he, he showed that those who believe would be saved and freed from all the requirements of the Mosaic law. Yet he warned them at the end that if you don't listen, you will actually be hardened. And what a sobering conclusion to this message. And I think Acts 13 is probably not that familiar to most of us, to myself at least. And yet there is a lot here with uh, 52 verses, a lot of truth a lot of lessons from how Paul preached to the Jews, seeking to win them to Christ. So let's pick it up at verse 44, the first reaction. And the people had asked them to come back to the synagogue the next week. So verse 44, the next Sabbath, a week later, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. Now, apparently word had spread uh, maybe there were several thousand people in this city that gathered together. What a joyful sight. Maybe those that had believed, whether Jews or the proselyte Jews, had told their friends, hey, come and listen to this, this word of the Lord, the word about Jesus, that anyone that believes in him can be saved and freed from the burdens of the Mosaic law, whether Jew or Gentile. So they, they, the hubbub was occurring, the word had spread, and all the city, the whole city, had gathered together. Now, most likely, they couldn't fit in the synagogue, so maybe they were at the, at the steps of the synagogue, maybe they, they were at another location, we don't know, but the whole city, uh, apparently several thousand people gathered to hear the word of the Lord. What a great purpose, that people would come and want to hear the word of the Lord, both slave and free. There were many slaves in this city, and there were rich people, and there were poor people, and there were Jews and Gentiles. They all gathered together uh, to hear this word of the Lord, the good news. And we hear about the word of the Lord uh, 13 times uh, in, excuse me, 11 times in Acts, but three times right in our passage because they were preaching, of course, the gospel of God, the good news of Jesus Christ, the word of the Lord. And it's illustrative of what we should fill our evangelistic and gospel messages with, of course, the word of the Lord. I think we should look for this, we should pray for it, that people would come and, and even, Lord, may use these signs, may we find other ways to get the gospel out. Maybe it's giving a track, maybe it's your Christmas card that you write a little, or it has a gospel message that you send out to others and give to others, or tell people, do you really know why Christ had to be born? Something like that, that we want to spread this message, and it was spreading in the town of Pisidian Antioch. 
Verse 5, it spread so much and the crowds were so big that the Jews had a reaction. The second reaction here, verse 45, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming or slandering Paul and the truth that he was speaking. Maybe they saw these massive crowds and they thought, well, we haven't been able to get that many to come to our synagogue. We've got a few proselytes that we wanted to teach them how to be good Jews. We've had some of them, but we've never had the whole city come out, and therefore they became jealous. They became jealous of these crowds gathering to hear Paul and Barnabas preach the word of the Lord. Lesson one, some will become jealous and speak against the preaching of the word. It's obvious here, but in in the context of preaching today and all through history, some people will become jealous against the preaching and some will speak out against it. That's what happened all through from the time of Christ, even in the old covenant, people got offended and jealous, and they spoke against the truth. It says these people were filled with jealousy. They had this zeal. They were boiling mad. As they say, they were so mad they could spit nails. They were furious at the, that the, at the growing success of the gospel. And why are they getting more people to listen? Not only were they jealous, but it says they began contradicting They were against the word. They were against the word of the Lord that was being spoken. And they stood against Paul and Barnabas and the truth in general, contradicting. That's what the world does to the truth. They contradict it. They seek to contradict it. And finally, it says they were blaspheming. We all know the Greek word, blasphemeo. It sounds like blasphemy. They were demeaning Uh, through their speech, they were disrespecting what the preacher was saying and ultimately they were blaspheming God because he had just preached how God had in time brought Jesus, the promised one, the Savior, but no, they didn't want to have it so they were blaspheming and speaking against God. We don't know what they said, but they were disrespecting Paul and God and Jesus at the same time. Were there other occasions in synagogues where the people were angry and offended? Absolutely. We've heard them in the Gospels. Turn over to Luke 4. Luke, of course, who wrote Acts, also records a similar situation in Luke 4, picking it up at verse 25, and even thinking back to our study on Elijah. Uh, Jesus here was, was preaching, and he said, But I say to you in truth, There were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the sky was shut up for three years and six months when a great famine came over the land. And yet Elijah was sent to none but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, a woman who was a widow. Was that widow at Zarephath a Jew or a Gentile? A Gentile, yes. She was around... Uh, Sidon, and verse 27, and there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. 
Was he a Jew or a Gentile? Yeah, he was a Syrian. He was a Gentile. In verse 28, And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things, and they got up and drove Jesus out of the city. And they were trying to throw him off the cliff. So it's a very similar reaction. And even the the motivation and the anger was similar because they were angry that Jesus had preached that even these two most unlikely candidates would be rescued by God. This widow at Zarephath, a Gentile. This Naaman the leper, a Syrian, a Gentile. And even back in Acts 13, all these Gentiles were showing up. The whole city was coming and they were disgusted. And more more to follow uh, as we continue. Well, we have another reaction, if you will. Uh, verse 46, Paul and Barnabas, we're going to hear how they responded to all of these things. And with the truth, verse 46, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you repudiate it, that is, you thrust it away from you and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. The first word in the text literally is this speaking out boldly. It has that root, that word that we've mentioned before, parousia, this unreservedness of speech that we're called to have in prayer and that preachers by the power of the Spirit can have to speak out boldly, to have freedom of speech. And that's what God gave Paul and Barnabas as these Jews were contradicting them and blaspheming. They spoke out boldly and they begin their their short speech in this way that it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. And that's what he showed even from all the way back when God chose Israel and then through the sermon that he gave that God brought the Savior Jesus to the Jews. It's reminiscent of Romans 1.16 that the gospel is to the Jew first and also the Greek. We've heard it, we'll read that phrase several times in the New Testament, to the Jew first and also the Greek. And Paul says the same thing. It was necessary that we first came to you because you are God's chosen people and the Messiah came through you and we're bringing the gospel to you first. It was necessary. And it seems there almost should be a period after spoke to you first. It's a semicolon, not in the original text but added to help us. Maybe a period would be better there. I'm not sure. But consider then, they they go further. Since you repudiate it, that is the word of truth, you you throw it from yourselves, you reject it, the Holman Christian standard, you reject what we're saying, therefore, something terrible is happening because you rejected the truth. Do you see those words, you Judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. What a terrible, uh, really a form of self-condemnation that they judge themselves unworthy of eternal life. By rejecting the word, they themselves will will be rejected. They rejected Jesus who is the life and and therefore they reject themselves from eternal life. Lesson two, if you throw away the word 
of God, or we could even say the word of life, you're throwing yourself into the judgment of God. There's a woe here. You judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. It's not only God who judges, surely he does, but by your very actions, you're judging yourself unworthy of eternal life. If you throw away the word of God, the word of truth, you're throwing yourself into the judgment of God. And the reaction is that God will be against you. If you're against the word of life, you're against God and he will be against you and you will not receive eternal life. Unbelief is self-judgment. What about you? Are you unbelieving? Are you rejecting the word of truth? Or are you believing it and embracing it and to be blessed? And this is the first reference to eternal life. We'll hear it again later. And there's a parallel even on the phrase and the, the truth of eternal life. Well, Paul says, because they did that, he says, behold, look at this. We are turning to the Gentiles. We're turning to the Gentiles. Now, if you, if you peek ahead in Acts 14, Paul goes to Iconium, and where's the first place he goes? To the synagogue. So, it's interesting um, that at least here at Antioch, Pisidian Antioch, they're turning away to the Gentiles, and but he continues through Acts. And uh, in, in Acts 17, he's at the synagogue at Thessalonica and at Athens and at Corinth. He continues to preach to the Jews and maybe using his own theme to the Jew first and then to the Greek, but there is a a, a turning, at least here at Antioch, and maybe in a, another way that you can chew upon, but he says, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. If you don't want to hear the truth, we're turning away from you to the Gentiles. Well, not only because they're furious at the truth, but verse 47 gives a deeper reason why they're going to turn away from the Jews at Antioch. Verse 47, For so the Lord has commanded us. For so the Lord has commanded us. I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. The Lord had directed them uh, purposefully from various scriptures in the Old and the New Testament, not that the Jews could never hear the gospel again, but at least at this city at Antioch, and maybe we could say primarily there's a shift from the Jews to the Gentiles. And he quotes Isaiah 49.6. Isaiah 49.6. Just turn over there. Keep your finger. Turn over to Isaiah 49, which is a fascinating chapter. It's always great to go back and get the context. And I was meditating on this, this chapter this morning, which actually begins in verse 1. We won't read the whole thing, but... Listen to me, O islands, and pay attention, you peoples from afar. Does that sound like Jews or Gentiles? Peoples from afar? Gentiles. The Lord called me from the womb. 
from the body of my mother, he named me. Verse 3, he said to me, you are my servant Israel. So there is a, uh, seems to be a parallel here, but God is speaking to Israel, his chosen people, but there's also a, a further fulfillment in this son who has a mother and who is the servant of God. Uh, verse 5, and now says the Lord who formed me from the womb to be his servant. Who does that sound like? Pardon? Christ, yes. And as a matter of fact, um, Simeon refers to this same scripture in Luke 2.32 that Jesus fulfilled this. Now Paul and Barnabas are using it in a similar way. So there is an application for not only Israel, primarily in Christ, but then the apostles of Christ. And uh, if you're still there in Acts 49... Uh, look at verse 6. He says that it's, it is too small, excuse me, is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel, the Messiah coming for Israel? Then I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and its Holy One. So there's a back and forth, a, a near and far to the Jew and to the Gentile, a promise of, of the Anointed One, the Servant of God, ultimately fulfilled in Christ. And then he's bringing the light to the Gentiles and the apostles would take on the same mission that I will make you a light to the nations so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And remember, when God spoke to Ananias, he said that Paul in particular would bear God's name before the Gentiles and the Jews, but particularly he had a, a mission to the Gentiles. Even in Acts 1.8, where Jesus gave the commission to the apostles, he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. So there's a drawing together here of the, the mission of Christ, the mission of the church, the mission of the apostles, to bring the gospel not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. And the Jews generally reject the gospel. And even for thousands of years, we see it's continued that the gospel has went to the Gentiles, we still preach the gospel to the Jews. We still pray for the gospel to go forth in the land of Israel to those of the seed of Abraham. But primarily, the gospel has been spread and continues to spread to the end of the earth, which was Jesus' commission. One author said, God's people are slow in carrying out God's plan for salvation to the ends of the earth. We talked about Operation World a few weeks ago, and I think lesson three to myself and to you is this. It's a question. Are you concerned for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth? Are you concerned for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth? Or are we just going to work each day, taking care of our house and our family and getting ready with Christmas trees and Christmas presents? Even our Christmas banquet, not bad things, delightful things. 
do we really care about the gospel going to the ends of the earth? Jesus cared about the gospel going to the ends of the earth. The apostles cared, and in church history, and yes, we do, by the grace of God, pray for our missionaries in North India. We prayed for the work of God in Dearborn, Michigan. We pray for Romania, and and maybe, and, and we prayed for Ireland, uh, this dear family, and, and others, and even the gospel work throughout our land. But I think at least we have to say, in answer to the question, are you concerned for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth? If we're honest, we could probably say, not as I should be. Not as I should be. In Acts is the mission of Jesus to the world, the mission of the apostles, the mission of the Holy Spirit, the mission of the church to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. And I'm sure if you're like me, we go in ebbs and flows. We, we get all motivated and then we, it peters off. And, and we get focused on praying even daily for our missionaries and, and for the gospel to go forth. But it's very easy to get so busy we forget to be concerned about taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Isn't it true? May God help us and stir us up to pray more fervently. And maybe, maybe God would call some of you men and, and wives to, to go together to risk everything to spread the gospel. Or maybe it's even next door. We, we have uh, many nations brought to us here in America, and that was one of the goals uh, we heard about in, in Dearborn, that, that all those Muslims came to that city. Well, if they could be reached, then they could take it back to their homelands. Well, uh, whatever you want to say about immigration, God's brought many people right to us here in America. And may we use it, and, and may we pray for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. May we be missions-minded. If we're not mission-minded as a church, we're not living up to the level of Scripture. And again, I think we are, but we can do better. I can do better. I can pray more, be educated, support, prayer, write notes. And I know we've done things to help our missionaries, and we give regularly. But let us show more concern even to spread the gospel around the world to the ends of the earth. Well, what was the reaction? We said our title is Reactions to the Truth. Well, here's another reaction, a great reaction to the truth. The gospel would go to the Gentiles. And how did the Gentiles respond? Verse 48, when the Gentiles heard this, the quote that Paul just gave, that I... That, that I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that salvation would go to the ends of the earth. The Gentiles heard this and they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life, there's our word again, eternal life, believed. Again, there were many reactions. The Jews repudiated the word of truth, but the Gentiles here who believed rejoiced in it. There's no neutrality. That's a myth. You're either for Christ or against Christ. You're either for the word of truth or you're against it. You either rejoice in it or you repudiate it. They were continually rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. What a great description of new believers. Rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. 
A.T. Robertson said, the joy of the Gentiles increased the fury of the Jews. There are two groups of people, and these reactions reveal it uh, uh, very clearly and vividly that some were so angry and, and they had an emotional reaction that they hated the gospel and they hated what Paul and Barnabas were doing, but these others were receiving it with great joy. And they were glorifying the word of the Lord. We see all these reactions, but it gets better. They not only reacted with this joy and glorifying the word, as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. They were not going to eternal destruction, but they believed and would have eternal life. Lesson four, God does the appointing, but we do the believing. God does the appointing, but we do the believing. What made the difference between the Jews that repudiated the truth and these Gentiles who rejoiced in it? What made the difference? It was God's appointment. And that's how Paul began his message, that God chose Israel. Now, in that case, the choosing did not mean that every Jew was saved, but as a people, he chose them, not for on the basis of anything they had done. They were a, a small, tiny little nation. God built them into a nation, and he chose them. But now, it says that these Gentiles who heard the word of truth, they were appointed to eternal life. Who appointed it? God. They were totally passive in the appointment, but they were totally active in the believing. Salvation is a monergistic work of God, but exercising faith by the grace of God, by the power of God, is what we and people must do. The appointment This word appoint is actually also used as a military term to place an orderly arrangement. That's what God does. He appoints people and and he puts them in their place. Romans 9. One vessel for honorable use and one vessel for dishonorable use. As many as been appointed to eternal life. Yet... Who believed? The Gentiles. They exercise faith by the grace of God. God does the appointing, but we or they do, did the believing. There's the necessity of faith. We believe because we were appointed. Spurgeon said about God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, they're not enemies, and he said we don't need to Reconcile friends. There's no reconciliation of things that are, these, these truths are not against each other. Here it is in just a few words. As many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. It's very clear. God appointed and these people believed. God does not believe for you. He gives you the grace to believe, but you must believe. And Paul and Peter would tell people, Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Why? Because you and they were appointed. Your business is not to say, well, maybe I'm not appointed. Your business is to what? Believe. But as we study the word, we see very plainly, very clearly, God does the appointing. 
and we do the believing by the grace of God. Not It's a gift of God, so let's be clear about that. But nonetheless, these people believed. They received eternal life. They laid hold of God by faith. They believed, see the necessity of faith. And these were not only temporary believers, but later in the next chapter, Paul will come back probably months later uh, to Pisidian Antioch, and it says in, in 14, 22, and 23 that he was strengthening the souls of the disciples and he appointed elders in every church. So it seems by the time he came back to this town and other towns, there were churches that had been established and they were growing. So they were not only those that received the word and then fell away, they were disciples. Months later, they were still persevering and he would come back to them. And we'll hit that in the next chapter. But isn't it a beautiful description that God would save these people that he appointed to eternal life? We can pray, Lord, save your elect, because he will. It's a guarantee. And we can also at the same time call people to believe, knowing that he has his appointed people out there. We don't know who they are, but we're called to speak the gospel, to preach the gospel to to all indiscriminately, and God will save those who are appointed to life. They will believe. It's a sure thing. It's a guarantee. It's an optimistic gospel that those who are appointed will be saved. Well, what is another reaction, if you will, another consequence, verse 49, the success continued not only in Pisidian Antioch, but it says in verse 49, and the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region, not only at Stilicum, but all through the Puget Sound. May the Lord do that. The whole region may refer to Galatia, north and south. This is the Galatian region. And it's noted that Antioch controlled 50 villages uh, in and around Pisidian Antioch, there were a lot of small towns and roads going to these towns, and people were going out, and preachers were going out, and the gospel, the word of the Lord, was being spread through the whole region. It, it was missions and revival was happening as the word of the Lord went out into this area of Galatia. And we'll be coming to, and you can be thinking about Paul's epistle to the Galatians and some of these challenges that are being experienced, Paul will later write, and even Acts 15 deals with some of the very issues between the Jews and the Gentiles that Paul was dealing with here. It took months as the word of God was spreading through this whole region. What could we learn? And from Matthew 9, 37-38, 38 in particular, Lesson 5, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Beseech or pray the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Matthew 9, and to give a little more of what Jesus told the disciples and and tells us today, Matthew 9, 37 He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. 
We see that the word of the Lord spread in Acts 13 into the whole region of southern Galatia as they were speaking and proclaiming the word of God, the word of and about Jesus. Well, what about us today? Again, are we concerned with missions? Are we praying, Lord, grant success even to other churches in the area? Lord, grant success as the word goes forward. Lord, grant success as that brother or sister gave a testimony to someone, told others about Jesus, our neighbors, our family, even in these Christmas gatherings. Lord, uh, send out workers, and I think particularly church planters and preachers of the gospel into his harvest. There's not a lot of people going out today. So we should pray that the Lord send out because he's appointed people to be saved. He has a harvest. Lord, send out workers And maybe, Lord, send me. Use me to spread the gospel and maybe even to be a preacher of the gospel, men. Seek to be qualified. Seek to be useful. Pray, give, encourage. But, Lord, send out workers into your harvest. Remember, Acts is a book about missions. It's a book about preaching. May God... Do it even today. May he send out workers into his harvest. That he would be glorified in the salvation of sinners. Again, do you, do I pray for this? When's the last time I said, Lord, send out workers into your harvest? We should seize on those words of Jesus to the disciples and find the application for today. Well, there's another reaction. Again, but the Jews, there there continues to be, but these people did this, and these people said this, and these people reacted in this way. Verse 50, but the Jews, those troublemakers that were already mentioned, they incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district, literally their boundaries. Maybe those those cities or whatever the Roman government had established, the control of Pisidian Antioch, maybe those 50 towns that we mentioned, they were driven out. And who did the Jews go to? Maybe these women weren't so devout after all. Maybe they were merely uh, devout uh, proselytes to Judaism. It seems, it's, by using the word devout, it, it would seem that they were uh, proselytes or or Jewish women who had prominence. Apparently there were women that were on councils and, and there were women leading and having great influence like these women here in particular. And the women are mentioned first, but then also, and the leading men of the city. Were, that, were those the, the Jewish men that were leading in the city? Um, were they sending out letters to their friends, the Romans who had control? As we read about the, the guy down in Cyprus, the, the Roman governor in that area, it's unclear, but they were devout women of prominence. They were, they were the, the, mover, the shakers and movers in the town. They were leading men and women, and the Jews incited, they, they stirred up trouble uh, by by getting a hold of these people and said, hey, we need your help to get rid of these guys. We need to extinguish this excitement among the Gentiles. So they they got help, 
against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out. Ekbalo. Again, it's one of the first words we learn in baby Greek. You know, balo, to throw, throw the ball. That's how I always remembered it. But it has the preposition ekbalo. It's actually the word when Jesus was thrust out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He was thrust out by the Holy Spirit. It's an intense word that that here is used for they drove them out. I think the English gives it very clearly. They were driven out. They were expelled. They were thrust out of town because they didn't want them there. They didn't want to hear the gospel. They didn't want to see Gentiles being saved. So they thrust them out. And boy, the persecution is heating up. Uh, in two weeks, we'll be back in chapter 14. And it's grievous, the persecution that they experienced. But lesson six... Again, quoting scripture, 2 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be, what? Persecuted. All those, excuse me, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And, and it was interesting as I thought of that verse, turn over to 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3, verse 11 and 12. What was he remembering or what place was he remembering when he wrote these words? Uh, Verse 10, now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance. Verse 11, persecutions and sufferings such as happened to me at where? Antioch. That's Pisidian Antioch and Iconium where he's going next. And at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He refers back, as he's telling Timothy about persecution, to this very chapter we're reading in Acts 13, the persecution that arose from from Paul preaching the truth to the Jews and Gentiles and then it being rejected and finally the leaders, maybe the leaders of the synagogue, these Jews that were against them, drove them out with the help of the governing officials. If we're not being persecuted, maybe we're not living godly enough. Maybe we're not uh, speaking the word of truth. Paul said if we desire to live godly, we will be persecuted. And again, noting these wicked people who were inciting violence, who were inciting this uh, uh, expulsion. You know, it still happens today. A a loved one of our own family was in uh, one of the United Arab Emirates and it was discovered that he had sent some Bibles to Iraq. That country kicked him out. It still happens today that people are kicked out of a country for sending the truth to others. Can you imagine? It's still happening around the world and much worse, of course. But you can be kicked out of a country in some places if you're seeking to spread the word of truth. Woe unto those who incite others and instigate persecution against the people of God. But it's happened from the beginning, from the time when Cain killed Abel to the end until Christ returns. Verse 51, a reaction, another reaction to this persecution. 
How did Paul and Barnabas react? Verse 51, but they shook off the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. Now, we've heard this phrase before in Luke 9. uh, Jesus told the disciples, and as for those who do not receive you as you go from that city, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. There is a divine judgment when a city and a people reject the preaching of the gospel and its preachers. Well, they were told, shake the dust off your shoes and get out of there. And that will be a testimony against that city. Also in Luke 10, Jesus told them, whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and do this object lesson. Go out into the streets and say, even the dust of your city which clings to our feet, we wipe off and protest against you. If you're against the truth of God, God is against you. That's serious business. That is a sobering. That's why there's a woe here that, okay, okay, Jews, you don't want to hear about the gospel of God for Jews and Gentiles? Well, God is now against you and we're leaving. Serious business. They were told to shake off the dust from their sandals, to wipe it off. I'm not even having anything to do with your dust of defilement. By rejecting the word of God, it could be removed from you. Lands and peoples that reject the gospel, okay, God may give you what you want. You don't want it? Okay, God at times will take it away completely. And look at places where the gospel was so strong in in years and centuries and millennia past, and what is it today? Look at Turkey today. How many of these churches still exist? There, there is a few saints in these places. But God will remove even the gospel from cities that don't want it. Sobering news. May we spread the gospel. May God soften people, not harden them. The final reaction, verse 52. Despite all those wicked reactions of the Jews, verse 52, and the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful and, and, and even shocking conclusion to all of this persecution. And the disciples, Jews and Gentiles, those that were following Christ, were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. These were the disciples at Pisidian Antioch, Jews and Gentiles who had believed and who were saved Less than seven, despite persecution, believers can experience supernatural joyfulness. Despite the persecution, believers can experience supernatural joyfulness. And that supernatural joyfulness is from Schnabel, one of my favorite commentators. And I believe it's supernatural because they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gave them this joy that even though their preachers, and maybe some of them were kicked out. And they were driven away. They were persecuted. They still had this supernatural joy. The joy in the Lord, the joy in Christ, the joy of being saved, that you can take it all and you can kick me out, but I have joy that is supernatural. I'm 
I and we can be filled with the Spirit to have joy in the midst of even great misery, great persecution. And Paul himself said that, and we're going to see it as we continue in the chapters to come. Well, in review, lesson one, some will become jealous and speak against the preaching of the word. It's bound to happen. When the word is preached, some will be jealous and some will speak against it. Lesson two, if you throw away the word of God, you're throwing yourself into the judgment of God. Sobering truth that Paul preached even in a few words. Three, are you concerned for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth? Lord, help us to pray more this week for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. May our church be even a little church, be very focused, and again, we have been by God's grace, but let's do even more. Let's pray even more. Let's have more concern for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. Lesson four, God does the appointing, but we do the believing. Exalt in God's sovereignty and call people to believe. Lesson five, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. These men were going, and let's pray today that God would continue to send men and wives that will support them, and even children who can can do it by the grace of God. It's not easy. It's difficult to be an elder, to be a pastor, to be a missionary, not only on the, the, the man himself, but his entire family. Pray that God would raise up family units that can do it. Physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. Lesson six, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus promised from the beginning, you will, you will get many blessings if you follow me. You will gain many new family members if you follow me and you will gain persecutions. Lesson seven, despite persecution, believers can experience supernatural joyfulness. Well, if God is so pleased and we're counted worthy to suffer for Christ. May he grant us that supernatural, spirit-enabled joyfulness. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word that is a light to our path, that teaches us many things. Thank you for this sermon at Pisidian Antioch that Paul preached, revealing your work with Israel, your bringing of the Savior to Israel, and that all believers, both Jew and Gentiles, will have eternal life. Father, may there be none here who judge themselves unworthy of eternal life by unbelief. But Lord, would we press into the kingdom. Violent men take the kingdom by force. We're called to strive to enter by the narrow gate. We know it's by your grace. We know that faith is a gift of you, but we must exercise it and we must press forward. Lord, may each one do it, that you would get all the glory. Father, may you send out workers into your harvest. You have a harvest. You have appointed people to be saved. And Lord, raise up preachers and teachers of your word and missionaries and churches. And may there even be sent from here, Lord. Use us with our neighbors and our families, even in this season, that we would tell others the truth about themselves and about Christ. Thank you again for these reminders and may we remember your word and may we, by your grace, do it. We thank you in Jesus' name.
Amen.